Then we go to the Gospel, chapter 5 of Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 13, as we continue on from the, the Beatitudes that were before us last week in the Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. and It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's far, that's far the reading from God's holy word. I invite you to turn back in the scriptures to Matthew 5, 13 to 20. As Jesus addresses his followers here and he calls them to be uh, the sermon title today, Christ followers are to be salt, light, and committed. We'll have prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the song that we have sung about the, the healing and illumination that comes through Jesus. And we thank you that in this dark world, you first said, let there be light. And the Apostle Paul also made an illustration of this, how you say that to those who don't see or know Jesus, uh, who happen to hear the gospel and, and your spirit works with that and it's like you say, let there be light to a person's soul. And we ask that today for our souls that you would illumine us in our minds and in our emotions, that you would illumine us and and our will that we would want the things that you want for us. And we would pray, Lord, that you would make us fit for heaven. Uh, you would someday bring us to that place where we could be with Jesus and his people forever. And we ask that we'd be able to take our place with Christ's people now. We ask that uh, preaching day would be faithful to that end, that Jesus would be our rock and redeemer. Amen. Last week in the giving of the Beatitudes, a list of blessings to his disciples, our Lord gave a blessing to those who are persecuted. And the reality is that uh, there will be times when, if we're living a Christian life, people will persecute us even in small ways by what they say. It often comes in the form of slander. And, and Jesus said, when that happens, uh, when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me, uh, you are blessed. In fact, uh, rejoice, because that's a sign you're um, one of God's people. 
Well, there's also another response that's just a, a flip side opposite of it that we find in Matthew 5, 16 as we go on to these verses for today. As Jesus says uh, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So there's also another response which comes from living the Christian life, and that will be appreciation and praise of God. One of my privileges as a pastor is to hear people express appreciation of church members. And any fool, any fool uh, can find all the problems wrong with the church. That's pretty easy. Or someone's life. Uh, that's pretty natural. But I've been really encouraged as a pastor when another person will speak of a church member. And I remember long ago when uh, this one of these first times this happened, where somebody uh, would somebody said, "I'm I'm so I'm so proud of this this person, and 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 how she lives her life." And I thought, and, and there was a generation between the two. This is a very elderly person looking back at someone in her 50s. And um, I had to agree with that individual. But here, here's a person expressing appreciation. I, I recall it uh, also with in regard to this uh, chaplain that passed away recently in West River, who was uh, a person I looked up to as a living example of how to uh, carry on in, in ministry. And he was a very famous chaplain. He was written up in the news. And, and I happened to be over in West River one Sunday night. And his sister-in-law talked to me. And she said, you know, I'm so, we're just so proud of Dave, her, her, uh, her brother-in-law. And I think about what Jesus said. Uh, in, people respond to him wrongly. And he said, a, path, a prophet has no honor in his hometown and among his family. And uh, most pastors would uh, have some agreement with that, those words of Jesus. So when it happens different, you have to realize that, you know, here's, here's somebody who's, whose life has really been penetrated by the gospel. And uh, I recall one time one of my elders uh, early on as we took a very long trip, uh, we started out in the Sioux Falls area and then we went out over to Iowa and we kind of split up. There were pastors in one car, there were elders in another car, and, and uh, the elder from our church was along, and, and one of the other elders started on his pastor, and he, he uh, complained about him for about an hour. And then he said, the elder told me about this later, uh, he said to the elder from our church, he said, okay, he said, I complained about my pastor enough. What, what do you want to complain about with your pastor? And my my elder, I maybe wasn't thinking very clearly, I don't know, he said, but I don't have anything to complain about. Well, obviously he had looked over some things and forgiven some things, but you know, that wasn't his, his way of thinking. Uh, this is what we have with the passages before us, that we're to have a different response to situations then would, would simply be natural. Where Jesus says to his disciples, says to you today, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything 
except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So here's the gospel of Christ, is that the church, you, you people, are to be the salt of the earth. And it's the Christian's calling then to interact, to interact with the world, uh, bringing the teaching of Christ. That's what the salt does, right? You put it in the, in the food, and, and you, don't even, you can't even see it as you put it in there, but you taste it, you know it's there. Reminds me of my wife going home after uh, we had been married a few years, and she cooked oatmeal for her brothers, and there was a lot of complaint because in our house we tend not to use salt very much, and, and they knew immediately uh, that she had not made the oatmeal as her mother did. Well, uh, the salt is very noticeable, and the salt brings out flavor, salt preserves, and we would be in trouble if we didn't have any salt. Uh, the world would just be a horrible place if it did not have the teaching of Christ. And that's what we're to be bringing. And the Christian's calling is to make a difference for good in the lives of other people. We're, we're to be making a difference. We're, we're to be doing that, not of ourselves, but because of Jesus. And salt in the ancient world could easily become useless by contamination. The, the salt there was not be like our Morton salt that we would come in a container or your Himalayan salt or your sea salt that you would buy. Uh, it would be gathered from the Dead Sea, which is a, a, a lake uh, where the water comes down from the Jordan River and evaporates there, and they would gather this salt. Well, you could also have a lot of impure substances that uh, could be part of it. And then what would you do? Uh, if, you, if it was contaminated by impure substance, what, what could you use it for? Well, they would put it on the path. They, they didn't have a cement uh, for their driveway. They didn't, of course, have a driveway for their animal, but they, where they walked, they, they could put it down and have a real hard path from it. And so the picture of people walking on it, being trampled by men, not a good picture. We don't want to be like that. We don't, we don't want to be contaminated by the world. And when that happens, even the world, the system opposed to God, rejects a church that compromises its mission. If we, we're going to say, oh, you know what, we, we're not going to rock the boat here. Uh, we're not going to have anything different than what the culture offers. Uh, we're going to bring a false gospel. Uh, what Satan would whisper in our ear. A false gospel that proclaims we ought to be tasteless. We ought to be defiled. We ought to be useless. But to be salt, the salt of the earth, is to be something different. We have to be a little brave in, in being that and trusting God as we step out to do what he says. The gospel of Christ is that we're to be the light of the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your deeds shine before men that they may see your, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So the gospel of Christ is that we're to be the light of the world. And the light of the world comes through revelation. Psalm 119, 105 says ahead of, of, of the gospel here, uh, is your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That, that's what God's word is. And so we have, in our time, have to become familiar with the word of God because the light of the world comes through revelation. And that revelation which promotes Christ. 
Now, Satan is going to offer a counterfeit. In fact, he is going to disguise himself as an angel of light. Now, that's what 2 Corinthians 11 says. Uh, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is no surprising then if his servants masquerade servants of righteousness. Well, Satan doesn't run around in a, in a red suit with a, uh, a pointed tail dragging behind him and a pitchfork in his hand. He comes as an angel of light, and the people that work for him are working as deceivers in the church, and uh, Jesus is going to talk about them, picture them a little differently in the Sermon on the Mount, as wolves in sheep's clothing. But you have to figure out what's the gospel and what isn't, what is from God and what is from the devil. And Jesus um, challenges the people that reject him as in John 8, as belonging to their father, the devil, and carrying out their father's desires. Light doesn't come from our human nature. Light does not come from an ungodly culture. Uh, we have that also in, in 2 Corinthians 11, where you know the, the devil comes today. He's got people really confused. Isaiah 5 describes it very well. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. God says, woe, judgment upon those that flip it all around, we see in our day. And we have to know Jesus. If we're going to be the light of the world, as he calls us, we have to know Jesus as the light of the world. John 8 when Jesus spoke into his people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. In John 9, at verse 5, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And, and the opening of John talks about this as well, that the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So we don't have a light of our own. Uh, in, in a modern illustration, I would say that the followers of Christ will reflect his light. You know, it's like a reflector in the darkness. It doesn't have its own light, but when the light of your car shines upon it, uh, it's got light. And this is a little bit like the Christian, uh, the Christian uh, experience as well. On uh, John 1, 9, uh, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. A picture of Jesus lighting the candle or lighting the, the lamp here. Uh, in John 1, uh, excuse me, in, uh, in our passage here, uh, we have Jesus talking about a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, the city on a hill idea is very much interwoven uh, with the history of our country. In 1630, when the ship, the Arbella, uh, was making its way to uh, this country, the Massachusetts uh, Bay uh, people were uh, in the boat, and this John Winthrop uh, spoke to them, and he said in his lay sermon uh, that he's citing, of course, this passage here, that our calling, he said, all, all the eyes of the world are upon us. And you think about in 1630, the country was wilderness. You know, there was nothing here. And he said, 
Our calling is to be a city on a hill. Our calling is not to think of ourselves individually. He didn't put forth the American dream, but he put forth the idea in his sermon that the Christians were to care for one another. They were to supply one another's needs. They were to be connected with one another. And he said, the eyes of the world are upon us and we'll be like a city on a hill. Well, after that, uh, presidents would go to that line as that's our calling as a nation, to be a city on a hill. And for much of our history, it seemed like those descriptions uh, were quite accurate. And it was a great sermon, you might say, to, to start out with. Uh, we have uh, about eight American presidents in my lifetime that have used that phrase as a talk to our country. But it was originally about a Christian settlement, how we needed to be faithful to God as church members. Think about the town of Pollock, and this is before I got here a long time ago, I guess, uh, back in the 50s when the town was moved, and the editor would have this on the paper, uh, the town on a hill or a city on a hill cannot be hid, and it was the idea of encouraging the people uh, as they made their move out of the lake bottom uh, to this higher ground here on uh, the city. And if you look in the centennial blanket of our town, you see this verse uh, that we're to be a city on a hill. I think of it often when I go over uh, the, the ring of hills of uh, Pollock on a dark night and I see the city uh, of Pollock and I, uh, it, it always warms my heart and, and uh, I think about this this verse here, that a city on a hill cannot be hid. There, there it is in the darkness uh, shining. And Jesus said, this is a, a picture of the Christian community. We're to live in community as a city on a hill cannot be hidden. This is uh, the Christian church now with visible effects in society. We must engage society then. Isaiah 58, the passage we read today, as God tells us to, you know, to see the kind of fasting that he requires of us, the kind of repentance that he wants, is to share food with the hungry, uh, to provide uh, wonder with shelter, uh, to uh, offer what's necessary to the needy. And then he said, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And so individuals are not to hide that light that Christ has put in them. And he tells them, he said, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a, a, a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives, gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. So what he is talking about here is a, a, a lamp in the ancient world. And uh, I went for a little spill this morning walking over. It took me two tries to get to church today, so I kind of gave myself a shower and had to go back and messed up my little terracotta lamp too. But anyway, this is what he's referring to, a little lamp like this. And uh, they would put on a stand in a dark room. It would run for a couple hours on, on the olive oil in the reservoir. And it, he said, you don't, you don't cover it up with a bowl you put it on a stand, and that is the, the picture Jesus used of our life. Well, let's put it out before I get 
a problem here. But this is the idea. So in your home, uh, you, people should be able to see Christian responses, Christian thinking. Uh, you, we should be following Christ in what he calls us to do. Everyone in your house should know your faith and our life and actions need to be for the praise of God rather than for our own glory. And this is where the Pharisees had it all wrong. You know, they, they were doing things so that they would have people say, look at me, look at me, you know, I, you know uh, aren't I great? And this, is, this isn't our call. Uh, our life and actions need to be for the praise of God rather than for our own glory. A gospel uh, that's true uh, will bring this out. A false gospel proclaims that we should turn from the light of Scripture and be darkness. But we saw a few weeks ago where Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 9, but the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of death, of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And we have uh, the blessing of light in our culture. We, uh, we have it so easily we often forget about it up until very recent time that wasn't the case. I, I recall uh, going through Mammoth Cave and I had a little uh, one of our youngest sons I was carrying, about two years old, and they, they were going to do the, you know, this is what it's like, a complete darkness in a cave, and they put all the lights out, and I remember our, our, my little kid just about choking me, you know, because, ah, you know, and then they put a little candle in a, a coffee can uh, to show what the miners had, and uh, it, it lit up this whole big room. Well, this is our calling. We have to be different. We have to be the light in the darkness. But it doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from Christ. And the gospel of Christ is that we owe God wholehearted obedience. And we see this in Matthew 5, 17 to 20. As Jesus explains, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. You know, he's that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we don't have to bring our lamb anymore to Jerusalem and he's the one that, that bore the, uh, the, the penalty of, of sin and, and so forth. And, and so he fulfilled, he fulfilled the law of God. But he, but he tells us, he said, that the Bible's going to stand. And we have to have that view of it. It's, it's going to stand longer than even heaven or earth. And it's all going to be fulfilled. And what he's calling us to do here is to, to give to God wholehearted obedience he came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to abolish it, and he's going to honor his word, and we should have faith to do the same. We're not allowed to set aside the commands of God. Say, oh, no, I don't have, that's a small one, all right? Yeah, I can, I can obey these others, they're more important, but I don't have to obey this little command over here. Jesus said, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel at the end to go out into all the world, to baptize and teach and to teach uh, the people whatever he has commanded. And so we're not allowed to set aside his commands. We have to practice and teach the commands of Christ in our homes, in the church, uh, and to do this with wholehearted obedience. For I tell you, 
that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Being a disciple requires a greater righteousness than scribes and Pharisees. Now, when Jesus said this, I think his followers were really quite shocked because the scribes and Pharisees were focused on this. They, they, they wanted to make sure in their daily practices they didn't break this commandment or that commandment and so forth. Uh, but they, they practiced, Jesus is not given any compliments here. No compliments are intended for the Pharisee party. They practiced their self-righteous religion for their own glory. They thought they were working their way to heaven. They thought they, were, they could do it on their own. They rejected Christ who came to them as the righteousness of God. And what he's saying is that the grace of Christ is absolutely necessary. You're not going to get to heaven without it. And that being a disciple requires effort and perseverance. Now, if that matches up with your understanding of Christianity as you practice it today, uh, that's a good thing. You know, if if your being here today and your being a Christian today requires effort and it requires perseverance, that's what God calls, calls us to do. And it's a false gospel that proclaims that we can be slackers or that it doesn't matter how we live, nothing further from the truth. Acts 14 is Paul and Barnabas make a return on the missionary circuit that they've, where the, the churches were founded, and they come back and they encourage the church, churches in these places, and their message was to them as they strengthened the, the church and encouraged them in their faith, and they said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not telling us it's gonna be easy. But this is a calling of being a Christian. It's a high calling. And you have more influence than you realize. And you look back on people that were faithful Christians and you see their light and you see the blessing that they've been to your life. And now it's your turn. And you need to realize that you have more influence than you think. That it matters greatly how you live. And we must bring the teachings of Christ to every aspect of our society today. We're called to be a faithful part of the Christian community, as salt, as light, and a disciple who is committed to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you lay it very clearly before us in the teaching of your son, and we pray that our righteousness would surpass that of the Pharisees and scribes, that our righteousness would come through the cross of Jesus, and that as a result of his work in our lives that we would respond wanting to serve him, wanting to respond with gratitude, having the sanctification, the cleanup process go on as we repent of sin. We pray this for our lives and pray that you would be with us on this on this Christian pilgrimage, this journey that we're taking, and that someday we might come to you in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.